Well, uh, this morning, there is a handout for the teaching in your worship guide. And um, if you don't have one of the teaching handouts and would like one, you can raise your hand, keep it up, and uh, maybe somebody, Devin or Jeremy or somebody can help get... Okay, keep your hand up if you don't have a teaching handout and you would like one. Okay, those are going to come to you. It might take just a moment. We apologize. Uh, Keep the hand up. Yeah. We are in our Advent series. Advent, this time leading up to Christmas, um, is a time where we Christians, we, we remember the longing that the world was in before Jesus came. And also in Advent, we, we practice waiting again for Jesus to come back and to uh, renew and restore the whole world. And so that is what Advent is. And um, yes, uh, we call it waiting in the dark because sometimes we have to be reminded of what God has done. And so sometimes we don't see very well. Okay, uh, final thing before we uh, hear the kids read the Advent scriptures again is that uh, we will again uh, participate with a text in conversation. We want you to participate. So that phone number there, you can take a picture of this and, and save it. You will have an opportunity to text in some comments and questions a couple of times during the message. And we want this to be a conversation that we are all involved with. And so I encourage you to do that. Okay, as I mentioned, our kids every week have been reading the Advent scriptures uh, to us. Uh, here they are. Take a look. Malachi 3.1 Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. John 3.16 for this is how God loves the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son. God sent his son into the world. Not to judge the world but to save the world through him. But to save the world through him. Didn't they do a great job? Yes. (laughs) Uh, But to save the world through him, through Jesus, the ultimate expression of love is God sending his son, Jesus. Today's word, our Advent word, our candle representing love. Actions are much louder than words, aren't they? Yeah, we understand that. (coughs) Guys, I'm going to be transparent today. Do you like it when I'm transparent and vulnerable? Yeah. 
Danya and I were having a conversation. Have you had these conversations? About how to best love our kids in conflict. And I was standing next to our bedroom door, which was slightly ajar, and I was making some point about how we should be gentle with our kids in conflict. And one of my children knocked at the door. Bothered at being interrupted, I quickly shut the door. <laughs> I had wonderful words about love, but love is not words, it is action. I had great words, my actions were more important. And so we practice in the Hovet house saying, I'm sorry. And so I said, I was sorry and needed to make amends. Every one of us is given a whole lifetime of choices, opportunities to take certain actions, good or bad. Ultimately, our life would be measured by what we do. Love is action. Love is demonstrated by what we do or what we don't do. To understand love fully, we must look at Jesus. To understand love in action in a way that fills out our understanding of love, we have to look at Jesus. So in order to do that, we're going to take a look at uh, the letter that John wrote to the early church. We call it First John. Um, John also wrote the Gospel of John, and he writes this letter, encouraging people like you and me who are trying to follow Jesus, but also who get off course and misunderstand some things. So he writes this correction uh, to them, encouragement and correction. In chapter four, he says this, or this is our point, speaking in the name of Jesus, or speaking about love, doesn't mean that someone represents Jesus or love. Okay, so John's going to talk about that here. He's, Dear friends, he says, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world, John says. There are many false voices, John says, that try to distort the very true character of Jesus and the message of his love. To remain in the truth, we must compare any claims on love to the teachings of Jesus found in Scripture. We must be discerning and remember that although the kingdom of Jesus is all about love, and includes words like equality and justice. Real love is only found through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Many other people can make claims on what love is, but we only find full and true love in Jesus Christ. Specifically, if we are to discern today's claims on what love is, we must compare and contrast those claims with the actual Jesus that we see in the Gospels. Um, <laughs> would the real Jesus please stand up? I Meaning there are false interpretations of who Jesus is, what he said, what he was about. 
And just to remind you, when Jesus instructs us, it is out of his love teaching us what humans are made for, which is in love. So our second point, Jesus actually came into real history to demonstrate what God or what love is like. John goes on. He says, this is how we know if they have the spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a spirit, such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which means the opposite of Jesus, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. These are strong words. These are words that we should take into account. And when we talk about the love of God, we must be sure that what we are saying is in line with what Jesus says. You understand? So if Jesus is God, which we Christians, that's exactly what we believe, here are some scriptures that show what God, who is love, is like and what he cares about. There's three fill-in-the-blanks for you. First of all, this morning, just one of many things that we could draw to our attention, God cares about sex. Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, and he says this, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is what the Son of God says. He is discerning that our sexuality, our actions are very important, but also important our thoughts and our beliefs about our sexuality. Jesus, who was present at the creation of the world, he says that our sexuality is not only important by what we do, but how we think about ourselves and how we think about others. God cares about sex and has a way in the context of marriage between a man and a woman for sexuality to uh, be wonderful as he created it to be. Secondly, God cares about marriage. Jesus writes, or he says, recorded by Matthew again in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. This is what the Son of God says. His words are not ideas. His words are truth. The third point, as he gets quiet in here. God cares about stuff. <laughs> and what I mean by that is the things, the material possessions that we accumulate, which we, 
and America should be very thoughtful about because we have so much opportunity for stuff. Jesus says this again in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. God cares about stuff and how we interact with stuff and what value we assign to the possessions and the things and the experiences that we can manufacture for ourselves in this fallen world. In a world with more treasures than ever, we need to be on guard. On your handout, there's one more scripture. As we're thinking about God's love for us, thinking about how it's not as um, hallmarky, hobby lobby ish as we tend to make it be. Um, there's something far more beautiful and profound that we're invited into. I would guess that you, like me, are challenged as we allow these scriptures to teach us. I'm convinced that every person who is wanting to follow Jesus must not only learn about Jesus, but unlearn. Do you know what I mean? That we have false ideas about what love is, about what God is, about what his love looks like, and we need to unlearn. Okay, a longer passage here over a couple of slides. Follow along, and then I'm going to invite you to give some reflection. 1 John 4, 7 through 10, and then 17 through 21. John says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Verse 17, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people that we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Hmm. There's a lot in there. And those, that scripture will be on your handout as you think over the next few minutes. Some of these scriptures that we're bringing up and talking about love might feel difficult 
we Americans don't like to be contradicted. We don't like to be told what to do. We've been steeped and learned in a culture that tells you every single day that you, on your own, have the possibility of knowing right from wrong. But we as Christians submit ourselves to Jesus and his scriptures so that we can know what is good and what is right and what is bad and what is unrighteous. Okay. So here are the following, the following are the questions that we will be texting in. And this is an honest conversation. These will be anonymous. I will not be sharing who said what. Um, so you can be free to share uh, your tension with me. We're going to take three minutes. And the questions are, what conflict are you feeling or thinking right now? What about these scriptures causes you to feel disagreement? Or what questions do you have? as this is brought to us today. And finally, maybe what agreement do you feel or think? The phone number is right there, and we're going to give you three minutes, and some music will gently play. That removes some of the awkwardness, perhaps. So you have three minutes, send texts, and then I'll reflect back to the room. We'll have a bit of a conversation. Ready, go.
Thank you all. You are sending some text messages that I assumed you would send. When we look at the teaching of Jesus, just like the first hearers, we are also sent into questioning. And thank you for your honesty. One person said, It seems unfortunate that love like that, I assume referring to the love of God, is not what comes naturally for me. I think others of us can relate to that. Another person says, any word for those who have already gone through divorce? And there's many messages about this. I can understand that. I'm going to read a couple of others and then make some comments. So thank you for hanging in. I admire you, especially if you're feeling shame, which is not the intent of the message nor the intent of the way of Jesus. But we do have to be courageous. Somebody said this. I struggle with public figures that claim Christ and live such ungodly lives. Some answer with this, uh, oh, well, he's a baby Christian. Or, well, he's growing in his faith. How do I handle this? Just believe everyone who claims Christ? Just believe that they are indeed a believer if they claim it? I think that's a part of the intent of the scriptures from John. Basically saying not everyone who claims to be from God or for God actually is. We must discern and test those spirits. That's what we're getting at. Um, Might come back to that. Ah, this is a discerning comment. Someone wrote, it seems much easier to love God to whom I can give the benefit of the doubt when I'm struggling because his ways are higher than my ways. Then it's easier to love him than it is to love a fellow believer who hurts me in ways I can clearly see. Hmm, that's good. There's something about what God wants to do with us that is about us being reconciled to God, but we, the other side of that, being reconciled to others, ooh, that's hard. It's difficult. Many good questions along uh, those. Hmm. Another person wrote, the world distorted God's definition of love 
and demands we accept the sinner and their sin. Half is true. Jesus loved righteousness and hated sin. Thank you. I appreciate this comment. Someone wrote, I really struggle with the scriptures about adultery, divorce, and sex in the Bible because they are always oriented towards a woman doing wrong and a man being in the right. I feel like today the Bible can be weaponized to marginalize women because of scriptures like this, and it really irritates my sense of justice and fairness. Thank you. <clears throat> Somebody wrote a long, I'll just summarize. Um, they said, if we're going to talk about God caring, on, caring about marriage and adultery being bagged, maybe we should talk about specifics and um, uh, teach more in depth about how to avoid divorce. Um, I agree with that. There is lots of room for us to learn new ways and to see new ways and to be encouraged uh, within that. Um, I, I agree that this is touching on a big topic, very big topic, um, one in which there is not uh, a lot of agreement about within our culture about how this works. Okay, let me make just a couple of comments about the marriage and divorce um, issue. Um, I believe that our culture over the last, you know, 100 years or so has taken a direction in which we tend to have a low view of what marriage is. And as such, culturally, we have all been misled around what marriage is and uh, around the effects of divorce. Because it is the the water that we are all swimming in, we don't quite know how misguided we are. And so we go into relationships, romantic relationships, or go into marriage with a small sense of what marriage can be or what it should be. And because of that, each of us, even as Christians coming into marriage, tend to have a misguided anticipation of how we can or should work to stay married. I say all of that because there is a cultural um, reality that all of us face that none of us can just one day wake up out of. And so most Christians go into marriage and will sometimes fail in the marriage not just because of their fault, but because of the world that they are living in.
And so if you are somebody that has experienced divorce and remarriage, which if I asked you all to raise your hands, which I won't right now, it would be many in this room. I want to say to you, and we're going to get to this in the second half, that God did not come to the world, Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. And uh, read reference that once we are joined to the love of God through faith in Jesus Christ, nothing can separate us. So we can be healed and forgiven. But also, as we think about the future, the kind of Christians that our children will become and their children, I would suggest that we need to elevate our comprehension of what marriage and divorce is and to be sober-minded and for marriage to be revered once again and for it to be serious. And yes, as this person commented, we should be giving resources uh, for marriages to be successful. Now, people brought up abuse as well. Also, we need to take seriously what it means to treat one another in marriage. We need to treat seriously the, defect, the deficiencies that we bring into a marriage that cause us to respond in violent and angry ways that end up tearing apart relationships. We need to address those in a preventative way for the future generations to have a better experience than what our culture has had over the last 40 or 50 years. Because many of the issues that face us, I am convinced, can be tied back to how our family systems have been broken by a culture that does not esteem the way that God describes marriage, the way he describes relationship, and the high standard he has within it. So for those of you who left a marriage because of Abuse, I stand with you. I stand with you and I would never want you to be ashamed. For those of you who your marriage fell apart for all sorts of reasons, including adultery, it is the blood of Jesus Christ that forgives you and I and can bring us back together. And so I too stand with you. For those of you who have walked through the challenges of marriage and have stayed together and have even healed from things like adultery or abuse, I also stand with you and applaud you. It is Jesus Christ that brings us all together. There's no hierarchy of the better ones and the worse ones. But because of, just because grace is real doesn't mean that we can't speak honestly about God's ideal for us. Are you with me? So let's continue to be a congregation that is willing to have these courageous conversations so that we can move into the future um, and leave our kids better than what we have even experienced ourselves. Doesn't everybody want that? We want the future? Yes, absolutely. More to be said, and no doubt your specific story has nuance that I would love to listen to if you ever felt misunderstood or judged or condemned or you just needed somebody to understand your story. <sighs> and I'll just make one other comment. When the scriptures, as, as we understand them, as when the scriptures say that a man can divorce his wife, we, a human can divorce his spouse. 
So I do not distinguish and I would never treat a marriage as in man has a power to do something and woman doesn't. We think that there's equality in marriage. And so whenever we're talking about the scriptures and it seems uh, to be that, you know, men are getting the easy way out and women are getting uh, the short end of the stick, I would just invite you to interpret that, that we think that the spouses in the marriage relationship, that male and female are equal in the eyes of God. We are distinct, but we are equal. And uh, anybody who's been taught anything different, I would love to listen to you and speak to that. Big topics, big topics. Okay, some more comments, and I'll respond to some of you privately through a text message in the next day or two. Great questions. Let's continue uh, our talk. Love is based upon truth, and truth is firm. So here's an illustration that came to mind. Humans can swim. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> have you ever seen people, and this is done, I've seen people do it, like they put their infant in the water and, the, and they teach the infant how to figure it out. Like the, the reaction of the infant is not to breathe in the water already and so they can actually learn to swim very, very young. It's incredible that humans can swim, but we are not well adapted for swimming. Yeah, we are land creatures. There is no doubt about it. We move well when we are on solid ground. We move well when we're on solid ground. Consider the difference between swimmers and runners. Like the, the world records, it's obvious what we are good at. The world records for swimming versus running. 100 meter freestyle swim, 46.86 seconds. 100-meter sprint, Usain Bolt did it in 9.56 seconds, just beating Isaac Hovitt, who came in at 15 and a half seconds. So. <laughs> or the 10,000-meters the freestyle swim, the world record is an hour and 50 minutes. The world record for the 10,000-meter run, a little over 26 minutes. Obviously, we are better when we are on solid ground. And I think many of us are languishing upon a sea of half-truths. Our lives are often not built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Think of treading water. Think of treading water and then you have to start swimming in a certain direction. You don't have anything to push off of. It's very difficult and I think this is some of the way our culture and even us can be living where we don't have a firm foundation. It is a massive amount of work to not get very far in life. It is so difficult to get momentum without something solid to push off of. We cannot keep our head above water forever. We are made for solid ground. And the scriptures and the way of Jesus, the person of Jesus and his teaching provide solid ground for us. 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 through 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Solid ground. But the very good question comes up. What if we haven't lived on solid ground? 
what if we have been murky and we haven't allowed the truth of the scriptures or Jesus to direct our lives? What then? Some of you ask that question. What do you do now? Go back to 1 John 4. John said, God shows how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So the scriptures provide truth for us, which strikes us. It struck us in this room as we talked about some of the truths of God's word. It struck us. And it, it's, 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 it's hard because it is solid. <laughs> you run into something solid and it's hard. But the other side of that is the grace that comes in to heal us. Jesus, who is love, takes away the sins of the world, of you, of, of me, takes them away from us. So here's an illustration that if you've ever met in counseling with me, I've probably said this phrase to you. Truth is the stage upon which grace dances. And when I think about my daughter as a dancer all growing up and through high school, and I think about the beautiful dance that she was able to dance and other dancers, and, and she knows this, and my wife knows this, often when watching these young women dance, I would just be moved to tears or something that is spoken, that it just, it's, it's just profound. And I had this image come to mind one day that the dancer is like grace. It's beautiful, and it does a healing work, and it draws us in, and it, it cleanses us. But how much my daughter would not be able to dance if there wasn't a solid stage. If she tried to, you know, dance on the water or something, you know, or dance on the waterbed, you know, it would, it would be a comedy, not something beautiful. <laughs> but when there's truth, oh, grace can do an amazing, beautiful work. Grace can do a work of spinning forgiveness and grace leaps with healing in her wings but only on the stage of truth. I think many in our culture want grace, but don't understand that grace is beautiful because of truth. Jesus came, John tells us, speaking and preaching truth and grace. We learn the truth and we allow the truth to challenge us. We've all gone astray, but Jesus brings us back and on the stage of truth, he dances with us and he brings healing to us. But if we refuse to get on the stage of truth with him, grace cannot live. We'll live in the wings. We'll live in a murky mess. I hope what you hear is that truth is the stage upon which grace dances that the truth of God's word comes and confronts us so that he can in turn heal us through his love. Okay, we're gonna give some more time for you to reflect back. Another three minutes.
And here is a time for you to think about, okay, if this is true, what in my thinking might need to change? You could send that. What activity do you need to start or stop? And then, again, this is, you know, courageous, but you could send a text. What do you need forgiveness for? I'll give you three minutes to feedback, and then I'll make comments on a few of them before we receive communion and then have our kids perform for us, which is going to be one of the highlights. Okay, you have three minutes, and the timer starts now. New Hope, I, I admire your honesty and your transparency and your willingness to, to share. I'm 
I'm going to read a few reflections that, that people wrote. I need to stop assuming the worst and trust God's plan. I need to focus on solidifying my solid ground. I think many of us can relate to that. I need to meditate on scripture more. I need to sit in silence and listen to God more. I need to dance more. I love that. I want to dance the dance of grace. It requires truth. I need forgiveness for my thoughts of jealousy. I feel that this can take over my mind and my heart. I find it hard to understand why other non-believers gain more in life. Thank you for sharing that. I need to be graceful in my thinking. I need to start praying daily for understanding. I need forgiveness for not following Christ as I should and also forgiveness for not teaching my children about Christ as I should. Thank you. I need to learn how to fast and pray more it's a Christian discipline that I need to grow in. Thank you for sharing that. At the beginning of the year, we're going to do 21 days of prayer and, and fasting, and we'll give some instruction and encouragement along those lines. I need more trust in my thinking about God and my relationship with God. I need to stop doubting God in my life. I need forgiveness for the doubt in my mind and for my cowardice when being confronted about my faith. Thank you. I lean pretty far on the grace and love side, but the truth needs to remain the foundation. Thank you. I think my, my view is that is many in our culture. Um, it's a beautiful tension, truth and grace. We see it on the cross of Jesus. God being very truthful about the sins of the world. Being very honest with us about the sins of the world. That Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is not forgiveness of sins. And God was honest about that. He sent a savior because we needed a savior. That's all truth. You look at the cross, you see the T standing for truth. But also on the cross is grace. He was perfect and sinless, and he bore our sin upon him. That's grace. Together, truth and grace is love. I need to change my thinking. What I think is my understanding must not supersede God's way. I need forgiveness for being selfish and self-focused. I need forgiveness for trying to control things that are out of my control. 
I feel that I need to spend more time in God's word and just listening to him every day. When I stop and listen lately, he has a lot to show and tell me. I know he has more for me and is calling me to serve in more ways and reach out to others in my life to share his love. Wonderfully said. Thank you. Hmm. This person said, it is difficult for me conversing with the next generation who want the grace without the truth. They want affirmation of gay marriage and acceptance of a variety of sexual practices, even when they are not personally involved, because they want to have love for others, which is admirable. Want to have love. How do we show them that Jesus' way is the best and most loving way without alienating them? Oh, that is such a beautiful reflection. I think many of us can relate to that. The impulse our culture has for love is wonderful. The inability our culture has for truth is astounding. Like our conceptions of sexuality and marriage would not fit anywhere else in history. Would not fit with the majority of the world. And yet our culture feigns an arrogance that suggests that we know better. So if that's the water we're swimming in, let's all be very courageous to get back to truth. Okay, just, just one more. Hmm. This person had a great reflection on the nature of scripture, that there are some things that we interpret literally And there are other things that we interpret figuratively. And this person is needing discernment to be able to know when we do one or the other. And that is a, that's a, that's a beautiful reflection. Um, Thank you. This is a, a healing and thinking that needs to take place. One more came through. Uh, This one. I appreciate. This person wrote very vulnerably. I need and ask forgiveness for being angry and questioning the Lord as he took my 14-year-old cousin to heaven with him last weekend. I know we won't always understand why God does what he does. And for that, I ask for forgiveness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what you have gone through. And my heart breaks for you. I also admire your desire to come back to trust and understanding. I admire that. 
But whoever this is, and maybe this is for a couple of people, I want to be your pastor for a moment. The scriptures have plenty of examples of people wrestling with the justice or the fairness of what took place. And I would encourage you as you have that question of why did God allow this to happen? That that would be your question. Why did God allow? But did, why did God do it? Pastorally, I would want to caution you away from thinking that everything that happens is because God pushed a button and made it happen. We live in a fallen world in which things happen and they are broken and we grieve. God, why didn't you protect or why didn't you save or why didn't you heal? And there's lots of room in the love of God for us to wrestle with him and to be honest with him. And I would never want to be a pastor that just says, well, just, just trust God and that's it. No, most of the Psalms are laments. They're crying, mourning. Things are not right. People are evil. Circumstances are hard. We feel lonely. We feel lost. We feel confused. Jesus himself, while he was on the cross, quoted one of the Psalms that says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus can argue with God, so can we be free to wrestle. But I'm so sorry for your loss and the pain and I would encourage you, it's okay to ask those big questions and trust God to bring you in time to trusting him.